this is the Washington State Wire podcast, a podcast on the policy, politics, and economics of Washington State. Here's your host, DJ Wilson. Welcome back to what is our third season of the Washington State Wire podcast, where, like at the WashingtonStateWire.com, we try to bring you thoughtful and constructive policy and political news, conversation, and analysis. We're kicking off this 2020 year and this third podcast season with an interview that we conducted recently with gubernatorial candidate Joshua Freed. He's a Republican running for governor in 2020. He's got a crowded field of other conservatives and Republicans, the right of center folks who are running to knock out incumbent Jay Inslee. And I think Joshua is certainly one of the more compelling candidates that we will see on the ballot for Republicans this year. There are, of course, some other names in addition to Jay Inslee. We've got folks like Tim Iman, who is also on the on the ballot. So it'll be a little bit of a tumultuous and busy calendar for our elections here for governor, particularly in the primary. And so before things get a little bit too crazy, before we have too many mailers clogging your mailbox and too much spam and all of those TV commercials and all of that stuff, all the electioneering stuff, we wanted to have a conversation with Joshua to talk a little more calmly, a little more informally, a little more, I think, smartly to get to know him as a candidate, to get to know the kind of governor he would be, and to get to know what really compels him as an individual. And so this conversation was recorded a few weeks ago in December. We're releasing it now here in January of 2020. But I think it's a a smart and and useful conversation to get to know Joshua. He's a former mayor and city councilman in the city of Bothell, former mental health therapist who went on to be a successful land developer and, and builder. And so without further ado, this is our conversation with Republican candidate for governor, Joshua Freed. Joshua Freed, candidate for governor here in Washington State. Sir, thanks for making time to be with us. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah. First, give us an update on your candidacy. You're just a couple months, maybe not even a couple months, so you're a couple months in, I think. Uh, Tell us about how things are going so far as we sit here on December 10th in 2019. Yeah, I jumped into the race actually on September 6th. And I've been traveling all four corners of our beautiful state. I mean, Ponderay County in October is kind of like Maine. It's beautiful, rolling hills, and mm-hmm. the leaves are changing. We have a gorgeous state, and I have the opportunity to see it. Yeah, yeah. So how did you decide? Uh, there are external factors, and then there are internal factors in a decision like this. Tell me about the external factors first. Why run for governor in 2020? Well, one of the pressing issues that pushed me into the race was what's happening with the homeless situation in Washington State. And it's so unique. It's as unique as each one of us sitting here in this room. A lot of people take an opinion that it's just an economic reason that people go into homelessness. It can be that. It can also be a drug addiction, alcohol addiction. It can be unaddressed mental health issues. And through Initiative 27, I was definitely exposed to the drug portion of it. Um, Initiative 27 was an initiative I ran two years ago in King County, which was a ban on heroin injection sites. So we got 70,000 signatures, had 1,000 volunteers. Conqui was a, a huge advocate for us on that. It felt like he kept coming to my office every week with another signature uh, petition completely filled. So a great effort in King County. So we got it qualified for the ballot. 
And then Seattle came out and brought suit against me, Joshua Freed, and then against Initiative 27. We went before a judge that said we don't have the right as voters in King County to keep heroin injection sites illegal. And then I appealed out to the state Supreme Court and lost in court. But through the process, it was very enlightening, of course. I went up to Canada five different times to visit their heroin injection site and saw just the apocalyptic type environment there, how people are dying. Since they opened their heroin injection site in 2003, there's an over 800% increase in illicit drug deaths. And for me, that's not something that I accept. I look at the homeless situation as a responsibility for each one of us here in this room and throughout the state. Some people have the mentality, just look at the homeless and say, hey, they got in that position on their own merit and it's their responsibility, not ours. Yet, I'm one that believes that we're called to love our neighbor and take responsibility to you know, reach down and lift them up from where they're at, making sure that they move forward. Otherwise, uh, the apocalyptic situation is continuing to grow and people are going to continue to die in Washington State. So that's a big motivating factor to jump in. Yeah, yeah. I, so that may tie to this sort of follow-up question of internal um, timing. In other words, you know, are there unique features about your family life or your personal life that make 2020 the right year rather than 2024 or some other time? Well, I see Jay Inslee is running for a third term. And I think to run for a third term, you've had to have done an extraordinary job. And he doesn't even really want this job. He was just running for president for five months. He got an asterisk of support. And as he withdrew from the race, he said he was going to run then for governor for a third term. And when asked the question, two different questions, one, will you pay back the taxpayers for the money that you use to run uh, for your presidential dreams. And he said, no, I'm going to follow the laws of Washington state, which don't prevent him from paying back the taxpayers for that political dream of his. The second was he was asked if a Democrat wins the presidential election, will he take an appointment? He said, yes. So he really doesn't want the job here in Washington state. He wants a job in Washington, DC. And I think he's had fingers in his ears and I, uh, hands over his eyes, not really paying attention to what's happening in Washington state. He rightfully talks about climate. I believe that uh, environmentalism, caring for the environment is not a partisan issue. It's something that's important to all of us. Yet he fails to recognize that the climates of our streets across our state are abysmal. People are dying. We see 30% of the homeless struggling with unaddressed mental health issues. We see 80% of the homeless population struggling from drug or alcohol addiction. And it's not just Seattle anymore. It's spread throughout our state. I've been to Ponderay, like I said, in Minnesota County. Spokane has a massive homeless population not being addressed, certainly Olympia, and even Yakima. I was there just a few weeks ago, meeting at the Chamber of Commerce. They locked the doors during business hours because homeless people are walking in, disrupting their business. And so if we're not properly addressing it, we're not enforcing the laws, making sure that uh, people aren't camping underneath our freeways and parks, but truly get those people help, we should not accept... uh, in the name of compassion, people living under tarps, under freeways, or in parks surrounded by garbage needles. That's not something I accept in the society. We shouldn't. You know, one of the questions I have that I think you've already answered is, how in a crowded field are you going to create a lane amongst Republicans, mm-hmm. right? Is there really a constituency in the Republican primary electorate for uh, someone fired up about homelessness, which is... I think something clearly our community needs to address at multiple levels of government. It's sure. clearly a moral stain, and we're letting down ourselves and our, our neighbors, in my view. Um, is that what Republicans want to vote for in a 2020 primary? I think Republicans want to vote for a myriad of different issues. One certainly is homelessness, as it's fueled by mental health um, issues that are not being addressed, drug addiction. They're also concerned with the lack of transparency in Olympia. They're also concerned that a capital gains is coming, and that's just an income tax that's being called capital gains, and it's something the voters have voted on multiple times. So 
As governor, I will veto any attempt to have an income tax come into place. But that lack of transparency that's happening in Olympia is extremely frustrating to the voters. And I think a clear sign of it was last Tuesday, or sorry, not last Tuesday, three weeks ago, to get our timing proper. The advisory votes that were overwhelmingly rejected, I think nine out of 12 were rejected. And those were all talking about tax increases that were made at 1.30 in the morning. So the last legislative session, the uh, majority went, went behind closed doors, came out and took a vote to increase spending by 17%. They also took a vote increasing uh, taxes by, by $2.7 billion. And they used a tool called a title-only bill. Because our state constitution says you cannot introduce new legislation in the last 10 days of the legislation or legislature. So what they did is they passed 15 title-only bills, white pieces of paper at the beginning, and at 1.30 in the morning, as we're all sleeping, trusting our state government, they passed $2.7 billion in new taxes. For me, I think Olympia has plenty of money to just have the wrong priorities, and it was clearly shown that the voters are feeling the same way. Title-only bill being legislation that has a title but no uh, it has a title, like, language and text. That's right, DJ. Yeah. It's like Bill 1590, but it's a white piece of paper. And so when you get to the end of the legislative session, that's how they amend those title-only bills with the actual language of tax increases that the public did not have the opportunity to speak to. Yeah. So what do you make of this crowded field? I mean, it seems, I'm not sure all of the, I guess, five candidates mm -hmm. uh, who are currently announced on the on, on the Republican side. There's another independent who I saw has filed with the PDC mm -hmm. who's a right-of-center candidate. Um, I'm not sure they will all be there uh, on primary election day. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you put in about $500,000 of your own money or a significant sum of money. Right. That would seem to tell me that you'll be there on primary election day. That's our point. Uh, first of all, is that where we are in Washington state politics where you sort of have to self-fund to some degree to get to... Uh, a level of statewide significance? Well, I so believe in that the issues that we're facing in Washington State need real solutions. And I believe in that so much that I'm putting half a million dollars of my own money in. I've raised well over $200,000 as well. My competitors uh, have, we probably have $550,000 cash on hand. My competitors have $20,000, $15,000, and negative $1,700. So clearly we're pulling away in regards to fundraising and making sure that we're making fiscal responsibilities. But to my contribution itself, I'm also, when I'm elected governor, I'm going to dedicate my salary to a homeless shelter, a drug rehab facility. I'm doing this because Olympia has been serving themselves too much. I think we need a new leader that's willing to truly serve Washington. I don't know if this is accurate, but I'm going to say it. You tell me where it's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, that earlier in your career, when you uh, worked in mental health, mm -hmm. you probably didn't have $500,000 to allocate to a statewide gubernatorial campaign. I did campaign. not, no. I think you were a mental health therapist, is I that was. right? I was. I have my master's in marriage and family counseling and actually used to serve on King County Mental Health Advisory Board. And at some point got into development, made some money. Mm -hmm. uh, now you're putting that back into your campaign. Uh, tell me about that professional arc. That's an interesting one. Not mm -hmm. every therapist you meet goes on to be a developer that then puts money into a gubernatorial campaign. So I've brought... Some very large investors into my company over the course of my 15-year career of running my own real estate investment company, land development and home building. And it's funny, as I sat down with them, they asked, well, what have you done before this? I said, well, I used to be a marriage and family counselor. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and of course, they always do a little giggle, which is kind of fun. But um, yeah, I came to a point after doing marriage and family counseling, I actually used to counsel all the little fire starters that would start fires in King County. That was a very enlightening process as well. 95% of those that were starting fires in King County, their uh, father was in jail. 
It was an unbelievable statistic. And so your heart starts to be moved. And as you start to listen to what's happening around you, you want to make an impact. But uh, my real estate investment opportunities that we actually grew through the downturn. So in 2005, when I started, it was the same time I was elected to Bothell City Council. We actually grew my company. So as three quarters of the home builders went out of business in Washington State, we were able to grow. We were able to work with banks to help them with their um, the reclaimed projects that were turned in, and we finished out the development, built the homes, provided affordable housing in, uh, in South Snohomish County. $350,000 for a home. It's unbelievable. Yeah. How does your Christian faith inform your politics? Uh, and l- let me sort of add the context that I think goes unsaid in Central Puget Sound, which is this is something of a, uh, th- there is a secular nature to much of the politics of at least the Central Puget Sound region. Sure. How does your faith inform your approach to this campaign? It, it definitely impacts it. When I think about, um, certainly, as I talked about at the beginning, and I spent a lot of time talking about it, the homeless situation, um, I don't look at them with a judgeable, judge, an eye of judgment, I guess. I would look at them as one who is equal. Under the eyes of God, we're all equal, right? And so we can't look at others and just judge them and try to create some separation and just say you created your own situation, you're on your own. I actually feel called to truly love your neighbor to step in and say, hey, you're in a place where you can't help yourself. We want to make sure that we can get you the help you need. My family has been dedicated to service around the world. I lived in Egypt. I lived in Pakistan as a child. Uh, It was very insightful uh, (laughs) to live in those countries. But my wife and I, we have five kids. We've served in the Philippines for 21 years. We've built hundreds of homes there. We've been involved in paving roads, building child care centers. Uh, we've gone to Kenya, building health centers there. I just got back a couple months ago, drilling a well. We drilled a well there last year. And those are serving communities that aren't able to provide those resources themselves to drill 850 feet down into the ground. Yeah. And some of my dearest friends live in huts made of cow poop and poop and twigs. I, don't, I, I wouldn't look at them any differently. I look at them as dear friends, uh, Alfred and Nelson and some of these great Maasai warriors that I know. I think that's what I would really love to see here in Washington State, that we become a place of service, where we look for opportunities where we can truly serve our neighbor, love our neighbor. And so the rest of the nation and the rest of the world can look to Washington and say, all right, it used to be a place of division where there was just conflict, but they able to turn around their situation because they took personal responsibility for it. Yeah, good. I want to make sure we get your questions, if any of you have them. Don't be shy. One of the questions I think over the course of this campaign, any and perhaps all Republicans running statewide in Washington state will have to answer is, how do you feel about this president? Mm-hmm. How, are you, how do you respond to that? Well, when I was mayor of the city of Bothell, I oversaw the largest revitalization of a downtown in Washington state. We saw over $400 million of private investment. And so I worked with uh, Democrats, independents, people from different mindsets. I, I didn't decide to separate from them because they had a different mentality or made a statement that was offensive. But what we did is we set a vision for the city of Bothell that we were able able to collectively rally around. So when it comes to Trump individually, I like that we have 158 million jobs. I like that last Friday we had 226,000 new jobs. I like that we have the lowest unemployment rate in 51 years. When it comes to some of his statements via Twitter or some of the rallies, I think that's stuff that all of us in this room could disagree with and we should call out. But I don't look at political opponents or people with differing viewpoints and just say I'm going to separate from them because they said something offensive. I'd rather look at Washington State and say, all right, 
let's move Washington State forward and find common ground on issues that we can work together with. That's why I'm focusing on the homeless. I'm focusing on transparent government, focusing to make sure that we have a proper tax system, not introducing a new income tax, but really looking at the 50 taxes that we already have in Washington State and making sure that we're properly uh, have a budget properly addresses the issues that are before us. So if we imagine a place where you're governor, and which I expect you do, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's in 2021 or perhaps Governor Inslee wins re-election and he didn't, is appointed and there's a 2021 election and you, maybe you're in office then. Uh, and we imagine also a legislature that continues to have Democratic majorities. Mm-hmm. How will you approach working with those majorities? I don't know that that will always be the case, of course, but... Uh, how do you see uh, your first steps in terms of working with Democrats who uh, will not be used to having a Republican in the government's mansion? Well, there are such polarizing issues that oftentimes both parties are guilty of standing and sticking their stake in the ground and not, not looking for common ground. I think there are issues before us in Washington that we can find common ground on. I've been somebody that maybe in a marriage and family environment where I'm working with a husband and wife that are very much opposing sides of things, be able to bring out those concerns, put them on the table, and then say, all right, let's throw all solutions on that and find out how we can come together. So certainly have the training to do so. But when it comes to the state level, uh, maintaining relationships and respect is essential. We need to change the dialogue in Washington. There's an old uh, line about Washington state politics that there are two great religions that inform our politics in Washington state, uh, either evangelical Christianity or evangelical environmentalism. Mm-hmm. When uh, you talked about your faith a little bit and you mentioned the environment in terms of a policy issue, where do you stand on some of the, the broader thematic questions and policy related to carbon mitigation or climate change? or our uh, clean, clean Puget Sound. Talk to us about the environmental issues that you get most excited about wanting to address. Well, if you're talking about it in regards to faith, because that is a motivating factor to many of the voters in, in our state, right? It's how they look at their families, it's how they look at their neighbors, and how they operate in business, whatever it might be. But when it comes to the environment itself, as you read the Bible and you go to the book of Genesis, you can see that God actually gave the responsibility to care for the earth to people. And so it's frustrating for me when I hear this mentality that it's all just a joke and, you know, it's all just going to go on by itself. I do believe we all have a personal responsibility to care for the environment. It's certainly something that I believe in. Um, when I was in the city of Bothell, I uh, wrote the PUD code, which was a green PUD, and that's allowing developments and encouraging developments in the city to actually install rain gardens and bioswells and other green type of treatments and actually built a green PUD with the biosales and rain gardens because I think it's the right thing to do. I offer opportunities in my own home building company for people to, to do little flush toilets or whatever it might be. So there's things that all of us can do. One of the most revealing things, I've been to 40 to 43 different countries in the world and some of the most desperate places, certainly um, India, New Delhi is deep in my memory, but there's a lot of things that we can take from Washington State that can have an exponential impact in the world. And I think we need to start having a mentality that we have things here in Washington state that have gone well in regards to the environment, but we need to take some of those policies to different countries who are looking for some of those answers. And we should look in a global sense to do that. So when it's just you and uh, Jay Inslee sitting down and you're stuck together in an elevator and uh, you look to him and you say, you know, I want to just commend you for this thing. What would be the thing you would say he did pretty well? That's a 
That's a really great question. You're stuck. I, you're stuck <laughs> in the elevator. You got nowhere to go. We're still in the elevator. Well, I'd definitely give him a high five or a shake his hand. I have a lot of respect for Jay. I've known him for many, many years because was when I was mayor, he was my congressman in the first congressional. So I, I've seen some things that he's done. I appreciate that he knows how to connect well with people. That's uh, one nod of the hat that I could give to Jay. He can quite connect very well with people, and that's a, a great gift that he has. Yeah. Talk to me about what you're hearing east of the mountains, or at least outside of central Puget Sound in terms of the economy. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of different economies in this state. Certainly we can sort of over-categorize or over-generalize east versus west. But how do we think constructively about rural economic developments before the next recession hits mm -hmm. so that we can help bring those communities up? Absolutely. So we've done actually a couple different polls. We did a poll, uh, King Pierce and Snohomish County, 800 different voters there that their number one concern was homelessness. Their second concern was out-of-control spending in Olympia and over-taxation. We did a second poll, 2,500 people across the state, and the results were the same. Their number one concern was homelessness not being properly addressed, and then the second was taxation and spending in Olympia. And surprisingly, traffic and some of those other issues ranked far down because typically education, traffic, uh, those type of issues are more toward top. But then if we talk about truly local politics and local issues, things that are, I'm hearing, I'll be in Yakima tomorrow, been in eastern Washington 20 days over the last 45 to 60, and trying to hear from them, one of the biggest concerns for them is the a movement to remove some of the dams on the Snake River. A second big concern is their private wells. Now there's talk about putting meters on the private wells. And agriculture is a massive drive of our economy in the state of Washington. And so when you start to limit people's water rights from their own personal wells, you can imagine how the farmers and agricultural community feel as that right is being threatened. Another concern that I've heard from them is the apple industry alone lost about $100 million when the ports went on strike a few years ago. And so they want to find a solution that we can keep uh, the ports open so their products continue can, to get out of the state because otherwise agriculture has a time frame in regards mm -hmm. to how long apples are going to last even though there's now cosmic crisp apples I don't know if you've tried these but they're pretty incredible they have a long shelf life I remember when uh, Fuji apples used to be uh, new but you know it dates me a little bit um, another thing on uh, wine this is something that was a new in, new information I've been on this like learning tour and some of these type of issues one was I was meeting with a winery in eastern Washington, and they felt uh, they were frustrated due to no reciprocity with Idaho because we required that you go through, or they required we go through a manufacturer, not a manufacturer, a wholesaler. We don't hear, and you know that's helping the Idaho wineries, but it's hurting the Washington wineries in regards to that relationship. So there's small little things like that that could have a massive impact. Luckily, um, their wine is relatively JV compared to ours, <laughs> so it's not a mar market. We'll sort that one out. Um, so what is 2020 going to look like? I, I, I sort of, um, it seems like where I sit, it's going to be a pretty good year for Democrats in Washington mm -hmm. State. Do you see it the same way? I don't. You know, you have folks like Shauna Swan, downtown Seattle, uh, that speak from a more socialist type perspective. You have um, AOC at the national level and the squad that speak from a socialist perspective and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. But I don't believe in the state of Washington that the majority of voters stand in a socialist type position. So I think folks that are looking at their party just three years ago, from what I'm hearing on the streets, they're saying, I don't even recognize my own party anymore. I mean, we're a party of strong, the Democrats, we're a party of strong borders. We're uh, one that believes in a certain level of taxation. 
But when you start talking about these socialist ideas, those are being rejected outright, except in downtown Seattle. And sadly, you see a lot of those presidential candidates pushing farther to the left, 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 because they think they'll get more time on the airwaves if they share these more extreme positions. The electorate in America is not there. Therefore, a strong border in regards to making sure that we have legal, proper immigration. Therefore, making sure that we have proper taxation in our nation and moving jobs for creating more jobs and moving our nation forward. So I think 2020 is going to be a unique year, specifically for the governor's race. Um, Jay has served his eight years, and you could argue that's a time of public service. But when you run for your third term, that's definitely self-serving. And he refuses to pay back the taxpayers, the tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, sorry, of taxpayers' monies that he actually set aside $2 million for his presidential run. That's frustrating taxpayers. And then he's already declared that if given the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., he'll take it. So he doesn't want the job here. I want to make sure that I can fill that position because I think we have serious issues that need to be addressed here in Washington State. Washington State is the state with the longest single-party occupancy of a governor's seat in the country. Right. Last Republican governor won in uh, 1980, a Republican revolution year, John Spellman, mm -hmm. uh, who served until 1984. Uh what do you think you need to do, just in terms of the, the base mechanics, uh, what do you think you need to do to be able to get the attention of national money mm -hmm. to come in and put wind behind your sales? Sure. Well, I already met with the Republican Governors Association in D.C. had a very positive meeting with them. They're very encouraged to feel that uh, my campaign is the campaign that matches best up with Jay Inslee in November. Um, they see him in, as vulnerable as I do because when he ran for president, he basically got rejected by the rest of the nation. He's done his time of service. It's time for new leadership. Even the Seattle Times agrees with me and the voters. They wrote an article just a few months, couple months ago when he announced he was going to run for a third term saying, Jay, it's time to move on. Uh, you've done some great accomplishments, but it's time for new leadership in the state. So I'd like to earn the vote of the, the people, earn their trust uh, to move forward to represent the state of Washington. And I'll do it in a way that it's bringing people together. People call me the moderate in the race. A lot of that has to do in the tone of which you speak to people, and it's a tone of you must have mutual respect. And I have a lot of respect for Jay. I do, but I think I obviously disagree with some of his policies, and I just think Washington State is at a point that they clearly showed three weeks ago that they feel they're overtaxed. They don't like that under the last seven years we've seen a 60% spending increase when the population has only grown by 7% in Washington. So clearly the budgets continue to expand 17% this year, $2.7 billion in new taxes, and people are feeling saturated and not feeling that the government has given back 60% more with that 60% increase in the budget. Joshua Free, candidate for governor of Washington State. Sir, best of luck on the campaign trail, and thanks for joining us here. DJ, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and if folks want to go to freeforgovernor.com, I'd love to share some more with them there. You Thank got you, it. DJ. Thank you, Joshua. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. That was our conversation with Joshua Freed to kick off our third season here at our Washington State Wire podcast. Special thanks to Michael Goldberg, who was the lead producer on this. We also had folks like Rita Waldrop and Emily Berger and Madeline Shannon and Kristen Swenson and Kariana Wilson and a whole slew of other folks helping us put together the work here at The Wire. So thanks for listening. Thanks for reading our stuff and check back in another few weeks for another episode of our podcast. Thanks a lot.